This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. Anybody try to brave Walmart yesterday and feel like this is the culture of exhaustion? Yeah? It's pretty, pretty crazy. We are in a series called Rhythms, and... uh, If you haven't been with us, two weeks ago we talked about Sabbath. We talked about entering seventh day rest as a way of raging against this culture of exhaustion and the fact that Jesus is our Sabbath. What would it look like to take one day out of the week and to to rest in him? Last week we talked about every day. What if we did that every day? What if we started the day by being still and knowing that he is God in darkening, darkening the lights around us so that we can see the stars, so that we can see a God that is holy, holy, holy. Now the question is, these next two weeks, if these are sort of internal rhythms, these are spiritual disciplines where we abide in God, what then does the outward expression look like? And that's what we're going to look at today. This is, a, for me, this is a fun one. It's one of my favorite um, passages. It's one of my favorite Uh, sort of expressions of what this can look like. And we're going to be, if you want to turn there, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Before we jump in, though, uh, let's talk, all right? We need to talk. So there's a principle that I don't think American Christians uh, have tended to get. And I'll give you an example. It's a very simple principle, and that is that these letters that Paul has written to us are written for you, but they weren't written to you. Okay, what does that mean? These letters were written for you, but they weren't written to you. Meaning, in a sense, we need to understand that when we look at a letter from Paul, that these were letters written to a church. In fact, most scholars believe that this was probably a two-way correspondence. So picture, like, if you're reading somebody's email, and like half of the emails, all the replies are blocked out. That's kind of what we're seeing here, right? You're seeing the correspondence from Paul from this uh, Rabbi Saul turned into Paul, writing to a church, which means we need to understand some context. Otherwise, we're going to be lost. Just as if you were to like dip into somebody's email and to kind of get one half of it, the more context you know, know, the more you're going to understand how this is for you, how this God-breathed, inspired, authoritative word of, of God makes a difference in our life. This was written to a real group of people in a real church who had real issues going on. And so before we just dive in, uh, let's look at a little bit of context here. First off, Philippi was a Roman colony. Paul's writing to this church at Philippi, and the most dominant thing in their life is Rome, and so we should probably know a little bit about Rome. Any of you that are like love history, this is not going to be news to you. Uh, Rome changed the world to the point that it actually has an influence on your life today. And Rome was sort of known for three really big things. Uh, The first one is uh, the Roman roads. Uh, When my son was uh, 13 years old, uh, I got to take him to Italy and to Rome. And uh, you'll see on the screen a picture of a, a Roman road. This is called the Appian Way. The Appian Way. That's the Appian Way. That was built 
in 312 BC. And uh, by the second century, Rome had built about 50,000 miles of roads, most of which led to Rome. Thus, the, you know, you've heard the all, leads, uh, all, lead, all roads lead to Rome. That was pretty much the case. Like all, all these roads led to Rome. That changed things. Now, when they first started building the roads, the primary purpose was uh, military supplies. But as you know, a lot of other things happened. Like all of a sudden, once you built roads, cultures began to collide. And when cultures collide, weird things happen. Uh, if you've ever been to Appalachia, for example, you know that uh, it's not nearly as touched by culture as other places. And so when you go, uh, when a culture meets another culture, it's, uh, it's very different. I remember uh, we did for years in Uganda, we went to a part of Uganda that was um, fairly untouched. In fact, they didn't get electricity until about uh, six or seven years ago. And I'll never forget, I was in this uh, Ugandan shop in the middle of nowhere Ugandan, and I took out my smartphone and uh, I put up Google Earth, and I zoomed in to the village that we were in, and I let this Ugandan shop owner take a look at the kind of the above view of his road, and it was so funny to watch him as he began to recognize from above, like, where his shop was on the road. What I didn't anticipate is he ran out of the shop and starts screaming at the sky. He's like, I knew it. I knew it. This is how they know everything that we do. And I wanted to be like, I wanted to be like, no, no, no. And I was like, yeah, you're, you're probably right. That's probably exactly how they know. They're watching right now. Um, I, like amazing things happen, right, when cultures come together. And that's what these roads did. These roads created culture and um, architecture and new kinds of food and religions coming together. That, and it made it much easier for Rome to Romanize the rest of the world. First one, Roman roads. Number two is Roman peace or Pax Romana. Um, now, Roman peace was great if you were a Roman living inside the confines of Rome. If you were an enemy of Rome, if you lived outside of Rome, you, don't, you didn't know much of Roman peace. You knew a lot about Roman power. But if you were in the confines, it was incredibly, incredibly peaceful. And then the third one, which again has an incredible effect today, was Roman law. Um, Roman law changed everything. And they did a, they, the way that they did law was different than any other civilization had done it before. Because Roman philosophy was that there, there will be eyewitnesses to words and actions, but there will not be eyewitnesses to intention. And so they looked at things very, very differently. They looked um, for, for evidence of what was seen. They looked for witnesses. This had never been done before. And so these three things changed the world forever, and they influence us today. You had roads, you had peace, and you had systems of justice. But check this out. Underneath it all was the way that they looked at power. Like, this was all well and good as long as you recognized a couple things. As long as you recognized that Caesar is Lord and that he has power over you. And you need to understand that C Caesar exhibited his power by the cross. He exhibited his power by crucifying people that might defy him and might dare say that he is not Lord or that somebody else is Lord. Whereas we worship a different Savior. We worship a Jesus that also exhibits his power by the cross, 
But instead of exhibiting it by crucifying those that defy him, he exhibits his power by being crucified for us, by taking our sin and shame and dying for us. And by the way, Christians, followers of this Jesus, when we get that reversed and we start thinking that our job is to act like Rome and that, the, and that we're going to retake power and it's about power for us, we've reversed the values of the kingdom of God. We need to remember that Caesar and Rome is about power over and Jesus says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up my power. I'm going to die and I'm calling you to take up your cross and to die for others and to serve others. Very, very different. So let's do a little thought experiment. All right, let's say that you are a Roman soldier. In a, let's say your name is Romano. I know I'm creative. Romano the Roman, right? So Roman, that's all I came up with. You're a Roman soldier named Romano and you're living in Philippi. And just think about this. All your life, you've been taught that you can have peace, prosperity, safety, and yes, even salvation because of, and they even use this term, because there's this gospel, this gospel, this good news, and his name is Caesar, and Caesar will bring salvation to all that believe. That's what you've been told all your life. But then all of a sudden, there's this group of people around you that say there's a different gospel, and actually there's a different savior, and his name is Jesus, and you're intrigued and you start hanging around them, and you start going, man, the way they approach power is very different, and, and salvation comes from Jesus and not Caesar, and so you bow your knee to this Christ, to this Jesus, and you realize that Caesar isn't actually Lord. He is the parody, and Jesus is the reality. And so you're living in this tension as a Roman soldier of serving this parody, this fake, this fake God, this fake Lord, while saying that, no, actually I have a new savior now and I'm going to follow Jesus. And all of a sudden, you hear, hey, you need to go over to this house today because a letter is coming from Paul. And so you're in the house with these other people that believe Jesus is the king and a man named Epaphroditus comes to town with a scroll in his hand and he says, all right guys, everybody listen because I have some words from Paul that are directly to you to this church and he reads this letter out loud from Paul to this church. That's the context. Look at now chapter 3, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to sub subject all things to himself. Very, very important part in this letter and you can just imagine the hush in the room as they're hearing this read out loud from Epaphroditus. Let's just take this kind of verse by verse, and we're going to key in, especially when we get to verse 20. Verse 17, Paul says, Join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Well, what was the example Paul did? Well, remember, right before this, Paul talks, he starts listing all these accomplishments. Man, I had it made. I was like 
when, when you talked about someone that had it together, that was me. And he says, I counted it all as the Greek word is skubalon. I, it was rubbish. It was trash. I gave all that up to follow Jesus. And he's saying, you need to be prepared to do the same. Romano, you need to be prepared to do the same. You need to be prepared to give it all up for this Jesus. And then verse 18, for many of whom I have often told you now and tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So with Roman roads now, you have this free-flowing um, ability now for teachers to come. And Paul would tell them, hey, some of these teachers are good. Some of them are preaching a false gospel. And Paul is an emotional dude. If you'll notice, when he talks about joy throughout his letters, it's always in the context of the gospel being shared. And when he talks about tears, it's usually one of two things. It's usually, I long to be with you and I can't. Or it's because the message has been twisted and false gospels are being preached. And that's the case here, as you see in verse 19. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Their end is the Greek word telos. And so what Paul here is doing, he's doing a compare and contrast saying, hey, if you go down this road... In other words, it's all, if, you, if it's all about your appetites, if it's about you know, the food, if it's about sex, if it's about money, if it's about power, if that's all that you're about, the telos, your end, is destruction. And he's going to compare and contrast that with verse 20. And now we get to one of the most misunderstood verses in the New Testament. And if you haven't heard this before, um, you're, you might have to let it sit for a little bit, right? Because it, it is a different mindset. Look at verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This term, our citizenship is in heaven, or basically that we are a colony of heaven. Well, let's nerd out for just a second, okay? Think about how a colony of Rome works. Now, Rome was not the first empire to conquer the world. Other, other um, empires had done that, the Egyptians, the Syrians, the Greeks. But Rome did it very differently, and that's why they were able to last. The way that Rome did it was they created colonies. A colony was way more than just a city planted by Rome. It was a microcosm of Rome. If you were a Roman colony, then by law you were on Roman soil, whether you were in Rome or not. And if you were Roman, you were treated very, very well. The job of a colony was to bring Rome's rule and culture to the city. So check this out. Think about Philippi. Um, back in the day, Mark Anthony and Augustus, they go to war with Brutus and they win. But in the end, you had tens of thousands of Roman soldiers that are in Philippi and they're waiting for their orders. And they're like, okay, do we go back to Rome now? And Caesar says, no, I don't want you to go back to Rome. I want you to stay there and to create a colony of Rome. Now, I want you to think about this. So he's not saying these Romans, um, like veterans that have just fought in the war, their goal is not then to go like, we're going to sit around and I can't wait to get back to Rome. Their job is to bring Rome to Philippi. So what Paul's saying when he says your citizenship is in heaven, he's not saying, hey, I want you to like have really good quiet times and I want you to really, you know, just focus on, you know, your spiritual you know, relationship with God because one day 
you're out of here. He's literally saying the opposite. He's saying, um, just like he's saying, if you're a Roman, your hope was not to move back to Rome. It was to bring Rome to Philippi. Paul is saying that to the Christians, as you sit in Philippi, that you're not just to be sitting around going, man, I can't wait to go up into the clouds one day and be in heaven. He's saying, I want you to bring heaven to earth. Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe Have you ever heard the phrase, like, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good? Well, I want to say be heavenly minded, but let's make sure that we have the right context. Be heavenly minded, be heavenly minded. Heaven, what is heaven? Heaven is the rule and reign of Christ. And so the Lord's Prayer is to go, like, God, we want heaven to be here. And somehow, you know, through Dante and all these other things, I don't know what you think about when you think of heaven, but we tend to think of it, this is a little embarrassing to admit, but I grew up here in Sango just like a couple minutes away, and I remember being like five, six years old, and I remember looking at like a crescent moon up in the sky thinking that was heaven. And I remember like really trying to squint and going like, man, this I wish I could see a little bit closer so I could see what's going on in heaven. That was kind of my mindset, you know, of heaven. And then I got a little bit older and I found out that's not heaven at all. Like heaven is like, you know, floating around on clouds and like playing harps. And I remember being a kid going, like hell sounds awful, but heaven's like not that. I mean, heaven's better, but like if we're just floating around on clouds and playing the harp, you know, I was like, I don't know if that's it. And then you get a little bit older and you go, no, no, no. Heaven is like the you know, picture the best worship service you've ever been in that goes on forever. And I remember being a teenager going, like, I've been in some great worship services, but even after, like, the 20th course of I Could Sing of Your Love Forever, I'm like, it's time for lunch, right? Like, just being honest. Like, right, that, my teenage brain. But then you go a little further, and you start realizing that the Jewish people into the New Testament their hope was never to be floating around on clouds playing harps. Their prayer was that Yahweh would come back and there would be new heavens and new, or, new earth, that heaven will come down to earth and there will be, and that's where we get to live forever. And by the way, this gets way more fun than floating around on clouds and playing harp music, doesn't it? Um, I remember, so in, in New Jersey, we have this really, nasty river called the Raritan River that goes like right through central Jersey. It's like green and slimy. And there's a sign that says, uh, we don't recommend you eat more than three fish from the Raritan River in a week. And I always like wanted to talk to the person that's like eating three and going like, I'm done. You know, like I wanted to talk to that person and be like, really? Like that's, that's, that's what you took from this sign? Um, but I'll never forget when my son was six years old, we were crossing the Raritan River and he says, dad, what do you think the Raritan is going to look like when heaven gets here? And I was like, yes, he gets it. He's not asking about floating on the clouds or playing harp music. He's talking about heaven coming down. New heavens, new earth. Let's make it real. New heavens, new Clarksville, new Sango. Like, what's heaven going to look like when it gets here? Jesus commissions Peter. He says, you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail. When did we start thinking that Christianity was simply about defending our culture? 
gates of hell. Um, gates are not an offensive weapon. Have you ever seen anybody pick up a gate and like put it over their head and come at you? Like, right? Like, gates are defensive. Church, we are to be on the off- offensive. We are, we are to find hell and to attack it and to not be afraid because we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. We are coming after hell with heaven. We are to be asking when we see things that are not right, what, what does the rule of reign of Christ look like here? And that's what Paul is saying. Is like, hey, just as if you're a colony of Rome, you're to bring Roman architecture and Roman law and Roman uh, power wherever you go, we are, we are to say, what does it look like to heavenize Clarksville? And again, heaven isn't just where you go when you die. Heaven for Paul was the place where God rules and reigns, and it's where the things are right. It's where shalom happens. It's where peace happens. That's why in Revelation 21 and 22, you see the wedding of heaven and earth. It's the way things are supposed to be. And just like our friend Romano earlier wasn't called to move back to Rome, your job as a follower of Jesus isn't to escape and to live in the clouds. It's to say that Lord's Prayer of thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is where we get to ask fun questions of like, how do we, how do we heavenize Tennessee and Clarksville and Sango? And what does it look like to make inroads into Clarksville, Tennessee? How do we bring peace? How do we bring justice? In other words, how as Christians can we be an influence right where God has placed us? That's simple, Tim. They'll know that we're Christians by our power? No. They'll know we're Christians by our politics. No. They'll know we are Christians by our love. Back in Jesus' day, the rabbis had this discussion of like, how do you summarize the law and the prophets? And they would argue and argue over this. And Jesus was a rabbi, and he had his say of how to do this. And uh, one of the places is in Matthew 7, 12, and you'll, this will be very familiar to you. He says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and prophets. Now, he says, so whatever you wish that others, there, there are a couple different words in the New Testament for others. One of them is anthropoi, and, uh, and the other word is adelphoi. And the adelphoi word means like brothers and sisters. In other words, like this is your tribe, either your physical family or the group that you identify with. But the other word, anthropoi, means literally everyone, like humanity. He can even be talking about strangers. And so what Jesus says here is radical. You, you, the way to think about this, when you think about the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself, I always think of it as a cross shape, right? There's a vertical component, and then there's a horizontal component. And the rabbi said, these aren't actually two different things. These are two sides to the same coin. In other words, if you love God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, but hate your brother, the Bible says you're a liar and the truth is not in you right? Like those two things go in hand in hand. If you love God, as you love God, you will naturally love your neighbor. And this is where you get, he says, you know, whatever you would have others do uh, to you, this is what you should do for them. Now, before Jesus, there were already two sort of rules, and maybe you've heard this before, 
that were already in place. The one is called the wooden rule. Uh, we call it now the wooden rule, which is to do to others what they do to you. You know what this is? This is like toddler justice, right? Like uh, this is where, and by the way, it's toddler justice, but this is where a lot of people stay, right? If one hits the other, the toddler, the other, they hit the other back. Um, and a lot of us, this is where we stay our entire lives. Maybe in your work, you're being treated unfair by your boss. And so what do you do? How do you relate back to him or her? Well, if they're going to treat me unfair, I'm going to treat them unfair. Um, Every one of us in this room, if we're going to be honest, we will revert back to toddler justice from time to time, and it's not a great look. Like sometimes afterwards we're like, ooh, yeah, I should not have done that. That's the wooden rule. But then there's another rule, the silver rule. And by the way, the silver rule would have, it predates Jesus, and Jesus would have been very familiar with this rule. In fact, uh, it's even in Eastern religions, Confucius uh, literally said, whatever you do not want others to do to you, do not do to them. Uh, it's kind of a, a do no harm sort of rule, and it, it's, a good, it's a good rule, right? Um, Jesus would have been familiar with, him, with it, but it's very much a negative rule. It's like, okay, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to hit you because I don't want to be hit, and it's good, and Jesus would have been familiar with it, but he goes a step further. And by the way, to our knowledge, we have no, um, there's no evidence that the golden rule predates Jesus. This was something that we believe that Jesus taught for the very first time. The golden rule, which is do unto others what you would have them do for you. In other words, to go above and beyond. Now here's the question for you this morning. Which rule are you living by? Not which rule do you like, but which rule are you living by? Um, some of you, if you ever went through the old study, Experiencing God, it, it talked about finding where God is already at work around you. And I was thinking about this idea of if our job is to invade hell, right? Like the gates of Hades will not prevail. If we're looking for places that are not right, that are not shalom, not peace, that are not good, and we're praying the Lord's prayer of heaven coming down, then what would it look like for us to start out our day? Remember last week we talked about being still and knowing that he is God and saying, God, this is a dangerous prayer. Don't pray it unless you're ready. But to say, God, I want to see where you're at work today. I want to join you in that work. And I don't want to revert to toddler justice. I don't want to even revert to the silver rule. I want to go all out. I want, I want to be a person that loves you with my, all my heart, mind, strength, and soul. And I want to love my neighbor as myself. What if you prayed that prayer and you said, God, just give me your eyes today. Because I know that you're always at work around me. And I want to join you in that work. We make it really, really, we make the will of God just way too complicated, don't we? It's sometimes just so simple, and we're always like, man, I want more depth, I want more depth, I want more depth, and God's like, listen, I can't make it any more simple. I'm at work around you, see where I'm at work, find pockets of hell, and call heaven down on it. We're on the offense, people. We're gonna, we want to see Clarksville look like heaven. What would, we, what would happen if we did that? I remember years ago, I'd just gone through experiencing God and had just heard that principle. And 
I was a skater kid in Clarksville. So I was like, I was the kid that was getting kicked off like Barksdale Elementary School and, you know, banks would be like, come out, you know, get off my property. I was that kid, right? And so I, I, after I'd broken my arm for like the third time, I was like, you know what, maybe it's time to, you know, put up the skateboard, become a youth pastor in uh, Jackson, Tennessee. And I'll never forget this. I'd just been studying, experiencing God. I was newly married and was a youth pastor. And one day I'm looking out at our church parking lot and I see a large group of skateboarders invade our parking lot. And, um, and I thought, God is always at work around you. And I was like, all right, I guess we're doing this. And so I'm walking out to the parking lot and they look at me and I know that look. It's that look of like anger and disgust. And here comes another authority figure that's gonna come and kick us off that chur- our church property. And instead, I'm like, hey, can I borrow your skateboard? And I start skateboarding with them after like eight years of not skating. Uh, was it awkward? Absolutely. <laughs> right? Like all the things I thought I could do, I could not. Was it a God moment? 100%. Um, these kids came from broken families, um, drug addicted parents. One kid said that his mom had a different boyfriend living in the house every month hard, hard situations, but we just began to build into them and build relationships because God was working there. And by the way, when this happens, it's not like, it's not like they all like fall on their knees and all of a sudden they look and sound just like Christians everywhere. It was, it was messy. I remember one time a a deacon comes up to me and they're in the hallway and they, they smell something. They're like, what is that smell? Is that, is that cigarette smoke? And I remember being like, yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, cigarette smoke. That's <laughs> got to be cigarette smoke, right? Like, it, it's, me- guys, it's, like, when God works, it's messy. Like, if we, if we want to keep church clean and, like, polished and all about the program, well, our, our name wouldn't be Real Life Church, right? Like, when we do this, it's going to be messy and it's going to be beautiful because invading hell is always messy, few months later, all of a sudden, one by one, we started baptizing one kid after another. And I have to tell you, it didn't just affect the, the youth group. I mean, it affected the entire church, experienced an awakening, a spiritual awakening, because we simply joined God in his work. And when you do it, it's scary. And you're like, I don't, I don't know if I have it in me to do this. And I can tell you, you, you don't. It's a good thing it's not about you or me because we have the spirit of the living God inside of us. And when we join God in work, he's going to show up and he's going to do what he's going to do. Can you imagine what would happen if as a church, as we head into the fall, just putting these practices together, we're going to work out of our rest. We're going to work out of an abundance, out of margin, out of an abiding with God. We're going to start out every morning in silence until we encounter a God that is holy, 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 and we're going to pray a dangerous prayer of God, show me where you're at work today so I can join you in that work, and we're just going to see what you're going to do. I don't know about you, but that fires me up. Amen. Amen. That's what we want to be about as a church, and um, we're, we're going to end this morning a little bit different. I'm going to invite um, Alex and the worship team to come up out. Um, we had a chance to invade hell in a different way about two weeks ago, 
and uh, I'm not calling the UK hell, all right, just to be clear, but uh, we had our fir- one of our first uh, uh, mission trips, and Alex had a chance to lead. Alex is our uh, missions pastor, and so I invited Alex today. Um, Alex, you had a team of about, I think, five, five people, is that right? Yeah, five total. Five total, and so... Um, what made you think, all right, we should go to the UK? Do you guys just want a vacation or like what? You know, what did you, what made you decide the UK is a place for a mission team? Freddie told me to go. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Let's, let's close in prayer. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, uh, there, there's a church plant over there that, uh, that we have partnered with. And Freddie comes from a background of planting churches. And he understands the value that's there and the importance that's there. Uh, and he knows how much it is to be supported more than just financially through, through person-to-person interactions, uh, some sort of level of, if I could say, sanity where you can encourage them to keep going and keep doing the work that they're doing, that it's not wasted, it's not useless, that it's going to mean something for the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so that's the value we were able to bring uh, to Thomas and his team over in London. Awesome. And uh, just hearing some of your stories this week was really cool, but like, what, what are some of the ways that you saw God sort of show up this week the week we were there yeah the week that you were there yeah, uh, yeah. about Wednesday it got a lot cooler so I felt, I <laughs> yes. felt God move there I um, get, yeah that's right you were there literally when they had record-breaking temperatures which, yes, right the hottest hottest day on record in London and we were handing flyers out uh <laughs> in, in in houses and yeah that's real yeah that's it is real. real um but that that's pretty that seems mundane right like but like like how did how did you see God show up in those ways? Well, Thomas shared a story with us about why flyering was so important. He said they had a family show up because they received a flyer 14 months prior. So they held on to this flyer, this piece of paper for 14 months. They watched Thomas, looked at the church online, watched the social media, and it took that long for them to make that decision to come and, and join them in, in worship. And it's a very patient game. Or, or patient work. Uh, so there was encouragement in that, but we did have a chance on Wednesday to do a, a spiritual heritage tour, which was very great. Uh, but we flyered the day after that, and we came upon a house, uh, I think it was Polly, that had uh, no junk mail, no, no, don't put any flyers or anything in here. And there was even a guy outside her house uh, talking about she will chase you down the road if you put any junk mail in her in her slot, in her door. And so we, the team, I think, originally had passed it by, and they got to the end of the street, and we had just heard all these stories of men standing up for the gospel, standing up for Jesus, being burned alive. And I think it was Polly or Lydia, one of them, that said, you know, if, if they can do that, surely we can put a piece of paper in a door. And I think it was Lydia that said, you know, Jesus would. And so it was in those moments of, like, you know, you got it. Let's go do it. And, and she chases us, then... You know, we can lay hands on her then. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so just, just I love you know, that. moments yep. like that. And I love that. It is, Europe is a patient, patient work. And I love, I love that. And this is the team up here, I guess, right? Yes. Uh, so there's Thomas and his wife, Elizabeth, their uh, oldest daughter, or only daughter, Perry, and uh, Shepard. And then uh, right next to Lydia is uh, Ashlyn. She's kind of like their... Uh, admin assistant. She helps coordinate a lot of the trips, a lot of information. Uh, she's going to be sending us. There's a, a list of prayer needs that they have 
that we're going to try to get posted on our website so you can join along with them and praying for them. Love that. Love that. Thomas is doing a great work. I think they had 12 baptisms last year, which, listen, that may not sound like a, a lot to us, but in where, th- where they're doing, that is a miracle. And in this, like, work that you guys are doing, this, like, tedious, in-the-heat flyering, you're serving this church and a part of a greater strategy of them reaching people the gospel. So I love that. Alex, how can we be praying for them, and what does the future look like? Uh Thomas, Thomas is starting to bring in some elders and some other folks in leadership roles. Be praying for that uh, and, and those men, those leaders that are coming on board. Pray for, for the strength to keep going. You know, a lot of times we want to pray for relief or for rest, but really what they need is just encouragement to don't give up, don't yeah. stop. Yeah. The, the mission's too important. They are starting to gain some ground. They're starting to see some, uh, some gates knocked yeah. down, yeah. if you will, uh, and, and it can easily be rattled when you're spread very thin not a lot of rest you just need that encouragement that spiritual encouragement so pray for for him and his family to continue fighting amen well let's let's pray for them now let's pray for us as we invade the gates of hell knowing that it won't withstand the power of the living god in us let's pray yeah father we are just so so grateful um grateful for thomas and his family grateful for our missions team and Uh, the opportunity they had to go and do the hard work of partnering in the gospel. I think about Paul and just how his emotions were so tied with the proclamation of the gospel. And so, Father, we pray that our heart would beat in that same way, that our joy would come from our salvation, but also in seeing other people uh, for the first time bend their knee to you and call you as the true Lord and Savior of the world. And Father, we pray that as a church that we could begin to pray that dangerous prayer of, God, where are you at work right now? Because we know that you're constantly at work around us. Give us your eyes to see and your ears to hear so that we can join you in that work. And God, that we can see heaven coming down, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in Clarksville as it is in heaven. You're a good God, a loving God. We give you all the glory. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Stand with us as we sing. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.